Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion about media production, and our second hour is usually something we want to spend a lot more time on. But today, we're just doing more questions and answers about media. And this is our kind of our test area where uh, you'll see some new faces doing different things. Uh, you'll also see us oftentimes experiment with ideas, uh, but we also do Q&A until we run out of questions. So it's not exactly two hours, but it's up to two hours. Um, so uh, you can ask questions uh, in Mukana if you'd like to, and you can vote on those questions up and down if you'd like, or you can just go to askofficehours.com. So if you, I'm sorry, askofficehours.global. Uh, you can use either actually, but anyway, but so askofficehours.global, uh, you can go to that uh, website and ask the questions and you can do that 24-7. So if you see this video some other time and you've got a question about media and you'd like it to be included, go ahead and use that URL, throw your question in and we'll move them in the next day. All right, let's go ahead and jump into the questions. John, what do we have? Our first question is from Vic Hernandez from Springfield, Missouri. When Secret Service agents speak into their wrists, what mics are used? Go ahead, Courtney. Uh, they used to use Motorola radios. I'm not sure what they're using now. Uh, and the microphones that they used to have were, uh, well, the radios were encry are encrypted now. And they, Motorola had a Vox microphone, which is a portable microphone that plugged into the Motorola radios, had a little square microphone on it that they'd slip into their sleeve. And uh, they could set it on Vox or push to talk so that they could hit a button and, and talk on it, a uh, hidden button or you know reach down and touch the button on the transmitter i don't know what they're using now i'm sure they've gone to a fully encrypted radio maybe custom made for the secret service you don't know they probably use motorola walkies with some type of uh, uh microphone design specifically for those yeah as far as the microphone itself so the motorola's have um they it's typically motorola's and the motorola's have it have these little side pins that you can pop in and one is the mic and then the other one is going to the headset um a lot of the headsets um ear heroes are very popular i actually asked the secret service one time i was like can i uh, can i ask you a question he put his hand under his, his jacket and said yeah <laughs> and i was like and i was like what your pieces do you use? And he's and he was like, oh, your heroes, they're really good. And and so um so anyway, so he so that's where the headsets go in. The um uh it splits out and it goes down their sleeve, and it's a little box mic that sits that sits under their under their sleeve. And I actually don't know who manufactures that because I've never needed one. But when they're doing that that thing, that's what they're um you know that's typically what they're doing is they're talking into this little it's a little box with a little mic that just hooks right onto the inside of their sleeve and it goes up their sleeve and it's a wired connection it goes back to that side uh, address i can't remember what it was called but the side the side connector that goes into the motorola um, radio next question our next question comes from eric hertz in hartford connecticut there are now multiple options for bringing in high quality zoom participants into a super source on, on site rather than in the cloud Please talk through the various on-site hardware and software options, both on Windows and on Mac OS. Um, and he's looking for multiple options for bringing high quality super sources on site. So I guess that when he's talking, about, when, when Eric's talking about Mac or, or Windows, I mean, typically we would use hardware on site. And the reason that we'll use hardware typically on site is because of latency. So if you're gonna really do a major event on site, you really can't use software switchers um, because in my opinion, 
um, because they they add frames to the process. So you may see people using a lot of these things and they may do it in smaller events, but on a larger event, they'll always use hardware because the hardware is all gen locked and it's all it's all tied together and it has to have that the lowest latency. Otherwise you see it on the screen, you see the in the iMag. So typically those are hardware solutions. Um, in my opinion, the you know, one of the best ways to do that if you're if you're if you're gonna integrate those things is using Zoom ISO. So that's a Mac solution. But Zoom ISO is going to give you up to eight outputs per Mac Mini. Uh, you have a, a Mac or per Mac. Um, you can have, and with a um, Mac Pro, you could do probably 16. I, I imagine a Mac Pro might even be able to do 32 out if you really wanted to. So um, there is also, um, I, I, I don't know, I, I, I can't remember what's, yeah, go ahead, Courtney. I was going to say on the on the Windows side, if you want uh, a PC side, the B Links makes the small, uh, of you know, four and a half inch square, about the size of a CD case and about two inch tall, uh, Ryzen nines, uh, which have plenty of uh, plenty of power to handle multiple screens. They all can always support three screens out, and some of them have three HDMI's out, uh, which you can use, or you could plug plug and in. And will those external... do 1080 for all of those? Yeah, out of Zoom. Sure. Yeah, Ryzen 9, yeah, that's like 14 core. Yeah, so you would use, I think in, in that case, you would end up using a Zoom room for it. You probably have, there's a lot of a lot more control in Zoom ISO than there is, but you could definitely use a Zoom room to do that, um, to, to pull that out. So, yeah, absolutely. So those would be probably the two sides of it. Yeah, my, all my experience, I was just using Zoom ISO yesterday. <laughs> so, so anyway, for something. So, uh, but yeah, so is, Zoom, is Zoom ISO uh, back Mac uh, OS 10 only? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's only Mac. It, it has to, I, you know, my understanding is, is that it has to do with um, the amount, uh, the, basically the hardware speed and what it, it directly addresses when it comes the to video. Core video yeah. yeah, yeah, it's just a lot more efficient than what Windows can do. So the, the do the same thing on Windows would be more expensive, you know, um, to, and a lot harder. Um, but I do believe that, uh, yeah, yeah. So um, next question. Our next question is from Joe Phillips in Murphy, North Carolina. The Roland UVC-02 looks intriguing. Any color crushing going on? Clean breeze? Will it lift an MV7? Does it have a quiet switch? What about the free copy of the Aerocaster iPad app? Is it useful or just Canon fodder with a link? I go ahead, Nigel. Wow, so many questions. Okay, this is the aforementioned uh, thing. Let's see if we can answer some of these questions. Uh, does it crush blacks? I have to say when I use it, I typically have the quality of light I have here. So it'd be really hard for me to answer that question, but I haven't noticed it. Clean pre's, I thought the pre's were fine. I used it uh, last time when I was out with my... Uh, with a with a nice mic and I, it, it was fine. Um, I don't know if it would lift the MB7. Um, is there a quiet switch? There is a talk button which also acts can be reprogrammed to act as a mute button or a cough button if you want to do that. The error the Aerocaster iPad app. I don't think that works with this. I know it works with the VRC01, but I don't know if it works with the uh, this device. It's a different thing. I will tell you two other things about it which are interesting. Uh, it has a USB, uh, I think I had to look this up because I didn't know what it was, a B Type 3 connection, which uh, there are not many, that goes into an A, but it comes with a really, really long cable. 
So they were obviously thinking whoever was going to do this was going to be a long, very far away from the very long way away from the rest of their equipment. I, I, I've never unrolled it because I don't want to unroll it, but I'm guessing there's 20 feet here, so or so at least 10 feet or something. So it's a pretty long way. I really like it. I think uh, I didn't want to take my Mix Pre 3 out of uh, my system, but I did want when I traveled to use my Sony camera and and a nice microphone, and I found this to be a great little tool. Uh, are there a thousand other options that are the same price that are just as good? Probably. But uh, this one was small, compact, and seemed to work well. Sorry, I got my pages. It's complicated. I might, one of my screens is, is in the wrong place. Uh, go ahead, Alex. Yeah, so I have a UVC-02, and I'm actually coming in on one right now. I've The reason why I got it was because I was intrigued about... Uh, it looked like a really cool box that solved some problems. Also, I've never been impressed with the quality of the UVC output on the ATEMs. Uh, so as far as color quality, it was dramatically better. And I know Guy Cochran's talked about it because he actually did some tests with scopes and compared it to a lot of different boxes, including the ATEM, and he found that it was very, very color accurate. And it actually sends out a full uncompressed video stream. Uh, it doesn't do the MJPEG compression, so that's why you don't see the crushed blacks on the Roland. Go ahead, Courtney. I was curious, you guys, uh, the thing that uh, um, uh, Nigel held up didn't look like what I my research returned, which was this box, which is the Mark II of the UVC 2 hd Mark II. And it's a two-input video mixer with audio inputs on the side that are, I don't know if they're balanced or not, they're a quarter inch. Um, so it switches between those two, and it has the T-bar there. Is that the same thing that you guys have? Um, Alexander and Nigel? It's it's not. No, so this, this is Roland's product name. This is the problem. The V-02 is the one that uh, Nigel was showing. The, the And then the one that you're showing has the HD, but very, very similar product names. Totally different product. But, but <laughs> only one camera input. And and no, and there's no, there's just one camera input. There's not like a camera and a screen. That's the one that Courtney has. Is that right? Yeah, the one I have has uh, two two HDMI inputs, and uh, and it does mix wipes between the uh, two. Let me see if I can get to the side. Them here in the back. Yeah, this has one HDMI input. So and it has a USB stream out and some type of controller expansion port here. And then on the side, it has the audio inputs, um, two microphone or line inputs that look like to be quarter inch, and a phone's output. And then, of course, the power switch over there. Um, but for two ninety nine, it seems you know. I think it'd be you know you you have a little larger. I don't. I guess those are quarter inch. A uh, little larger audio inputs than the uh, uh, ATEMs. But an ATEM Mini for two seventy nine or whatever they're going for these days is a Mini Pro is probably a much better value. I don't know whether whether the video output is better or not. I. I will say the uh, the audio on the A10 Pro is just mind-numbingly frustrating. <laughs> like it's just it's it, I I'm I've been struggling with it over the last couple of days, and it's just I can't quite figure out what it's doing. Uh, go ahead, Alex. Yeah, they're, they're, Roland's going after two different markets with those products because the the O2 HD was is supposed to be a camera switcher for people that 
have a couple of cameras that just want to cut between them and have maybe audio being handled by an external mixer. Whereas the presentation dock is for someone, let's say, you know, in business who wants to jump on a, on a Zoom meeting. They don't have a mixer. All the audio is handled there, which is why it has one mic pre and no multi-view out. They just need to get on Zoom. They need a high-quality mic preamp to get in there. And then it's got the buttons not only to mute and unmute your microphone, but it also has buttons that you can assign to change slides in uh, PowerPoint and whatever keynote or whatever you've got there. So it is, it is, you can also play back music off of it too. And it's got the buttons for that. So it really is for someone who is doing meetings online. And does it have any kind of noise, noise control? Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does. Uh, it has noise suppression. I experimented with that when they did the last firmware update and I got really weird results with it and I haven't tried it again. So it wasn't very good. Thank you, Nigel. Yeah, I actually found all of the sound equalization stuff fairly poor and, and I ended up having to turn it all off and, and it, it messed around the sound. I wanted to make one other point. I think the Roland lines are a little confusing. So if you go into the Roland homepage uh, and you pull down the products, what you'll see is they have a line of products which are video switches and a line of products that are video stre uh, streaming switches. And so you can end up, I think, Courtney, you were in the switches and I was in the streamers. And so that's, you know, the, no, these mine was just, the Mine was, it's, the name of it is a streaming switcher, you know, Streaming video mixer is what it called VO2 HD uh, Mark II. Yeah, all, all I'm saying is that that, you, that they they have what appears to be sometimes overlapping product lines, and they differentiate them by streaming versus switching, and similar product names, yeah, which is very confusing. Next question. Our next question comes from Jeff Cohen in Miami Beach, Florida. What temporal supercomputer do I need to run Resolve smoothly? My M2 Mac with 24 gigabytes of RAM, no third-party apps running in the background, no video, everything stored locally, a few RX plugins but disabled. I still have various delays, switching panes, save as, etc. Go, TJ. Man, oh man. I mean, if there's no, am I reading that right? No video in Resolve, and you're still seeing uh, interface delays. I mean, I, I used to, I ran, I think, 17 or 18 on even some Intel machines that only had 16 gigs of RAM, and I, I didn't feel a ton of hesitation. So something something's up there. I'm not sure. The one thing that I would try is if, you, if you've if you downloaded the Resolve, uh, the version of DaVinci Resolve from the Mac App Store, it might be worth it to uninstall that and reinstall the one that comes right from DaVinci. That is one of the cases where the, uh, the, the one that you get right from the manufacturer is a little bit more fully featured and maybe it's they're not supporting better. It's not a little more. It is a different app. Like you should never buy the Black Magic app from the App Store. If you, if you have done that, you should definitely download. I we apologize. I don't think there's any way to get your money back. Um, but you, uh, you should not buy that. It's. I don't know why that's there. Um, you should not use it. Yeah, Alex. Yeah, CJ raised a good point. I, I I would actually, if you did buy it from the App Store, I would still uh, email the App Store because oftentimes. Um, they will take pity on you and they will uh, give you your money back. Um, yeah, it sounds like something really strange is going on, Jeff, with with uh, Resolve in your setup there. Uh, I can speak to, as far as the hardware is concerned, my personal observations is I bought a baseline Mac Mini uh, M2 uh, with only 8 gigs of RAM, and I am editing the ATEM ISO projects that are recorded off my 
switcher, and those are our H.264, which are typically very, very hard to edit. Um, however, the M2 has the H.264 encoder decoders, and it's pretty smooth, although I do find that um, I'm, I'm going to buy another Mac, and I, I think the M2 Pro is going to be significantly better because it has a much better GPU, more RAM, and also I think it doubles the amount of encoder decoders there. So I'm not sure if, it, if you just have the regular... I assume you have the regular M2 and not the Pro, but either way, it sounds like what you're experiencing is really weird, and if you do have the App Store version, I would uh, take it off there. Next question. Our next question comes from Craig McFarlane in Boston, Massachusetts. After Zoom meetings, I often get a warning from the OS, Sonoma, that says Zoom wants to access to other apps. What is it trying to do that it needs full disk access? I don't know, unless you're doing things like, um, I don't know what it would need for full access. Other, you know, Apple has become, I mean, with Sonoma, I mean, so you have to understand also, um, I mean, it could be a minor thing that, that it's asking for. Uh, Apple is slowly tightening a security noose. Like they are just, it's, it's, it's like they're just, every version gets tighter and tighter and tighter. And there's probably some rule that they, they talked about at WWDC probably two years ago and then this year that of how people have to interact with that and what they're going to do. But basically they're, I mean, they are making our Macs impenetrable slowly. But if they do it all at one time, uh, people would complain, and you're you're still complaining. But but the the um, but if but they're trying to do it as slow as they can um, to do that. And I don't know what those those I, I they really should say. It's at trying to access this app, like specifically as opposed to other apps. Um, but I'm not sure what it it, it could be any support service. Uh, go ahead, CJ. Yeah, I n noticed this uh, recently. It's. It happens when I launch Zoom and almost every single time I leave a meeting, it's just a little generic pop-up that says this app, Zoom's trying to access other data. The only thing that I can think of in terms of when did it start, it was around the time I had installed a, it might have been SPX or it might have been another third-party uh, app within Zoom. So it's like that that app infrastructure that Zoom is laying over the, uh, the actual uh what it's good at, the meeting part. <laughs> I think sometimes they're trying to access a support file somewhere. So if you have a logo, for example, in SPX that is set to look to come in as your lower third or, or something like that, if it's trying to access that, but it's not like in exactly the right place in the sandbox, that could be what's triggering that pop-up. Yeah. It's, you're going to keep on seeing as, as Apple app, as Apple every year, Apple is going to be more prickly about this um, to uh, continue to make this thing, to make the hardware more, you know, and, and there's this balance that they have that I think that they don't always get right of convenience and, and security. <laughs> so, um, and so they, but they're, but they are definitely trying to manage that and slowly tighten those things. And that's a, the reason, the other reason they're doing it slowly is to give developers enough time to figure out how to play inside of the new sandbox that's slightly, slightly smaller than the sandbox they had last year. Um, next question. Matthew in Oakland used the QR code to ask, if streaming a two-day event on YouTube, can I reuse the first day link for the second day, or do I need to create another? Thank you. Yeah, so it depends on whether you're talking about the encode link, the RTMP uh, key, or the um, or your actual YouTube link that you're going to embed or, or send out to other people. Once you stop a link, it's over. 
<laughs> like, like so, so once you close an event, it's over as far as playback, as people coming to it. So if you have an event, you could leave the key, you could leave it running all night if you wanted to, but as soon as you start an event and end the event, it's over. Now, you can go into YouTube and actually build a persistent link inside of YouTube to send to. So the RTMP key can be persistent. Um, so you can go in, you can go into, it's in, I think it's manage embeds and build one and give it a name and say, this is my event 1080p or, or this is my event, whatever. And, um, and then you always use that. Um, and so, so that's a, that is a, um, that's how you, uh, that's how you can handle the so that you don't have to change your encoder so your encoder just keeps looking at the same place all the time and it'll it'll always be able to but as far as what the viewers get you absolutely as soon as you close as soon as you hit stop on that event there's no there's no going back <laughs> so so you do have to uh, create a new one and that usually works well we we build those ahead of time for this show and for other shows and so you you can build them a month in advance so just build the build the extra ones there and but it, you won't have to change what your encoder is pointed to if you set it up correctly now note if you have two events right next to each other uh so a couple minutes apart we have had issues where if you're streaming to one ingest link and then you stop and you start another one right after it um it is uh it sometimes won't work so sometimes you need two ingest links for that um, so if you're having trouble getting it to tie together after, if you've closed one and within five minutes started another one, you it may not be able to do that. It hangs on to that link for a little while. It's really unfortunate because it used to not do that. And also you used to use the same ingest link for multiple YouTube events, which was on your own, within your own channel, which was super useful because you could have different layers of access and all kinds of other things that we used to do with it. But Anyway, they took it away for some reason. I'm sure it was a good reason. Um, uh, you can, go, if you have questions, of course, you can ask um, in Mukana. You can also vote on those questions. Um, so vote on the questions as they um, as they come in. It's really important. It helps us figure things out. And if you're not in Mukana and you're just watching this some other time of the day, uh, you can also go to askofficehours.global, this little QR code right here, and uh, ask those questions anytime, 24-7, and then we'll file them into our system. Next question. Our next question is from Hazmuk Gajar in Cape Town, South Africa. Updated hot audio hijack and attempted to use the transcribe block powered by Whisper. It was not a great experience. Anyone else played with this? John? I haven't played with um, the transcribe block in Whisper directly, but most of the, the new um, AI tools that are coming out, especially if run locally, they're really designed to run on specialized hardware for AI, specifically NVIDIA. And so when you run it on your own personal local machine, a lot of times it's much, much slower than you would anticipate. Next question. Our next question is from Tlaloc Lopez-Waterman in Galisteo, New Mexico. Is there somewhere we can pile on requests for Blackmagic Design to fix the crushed colors in the ATEM line? We can. I have some hard truths for you here, though. I have a theory. It's not truth. I don't know it from them or anybody else that they can't fix it. I think that there's been enough of us that have given them pressure about it. I think there's something wrong with the H.264 chip inside of the in the H.264 chip inside of their encoder uh, for the ATEMs. Um, I don't think it's recoverable. So I think that I think that that's um, I, I, that's my theory right now is that they can't fix it. If they could, they would have. Like, I, you know, there have been so many of us and other folks and that have pushed hard on this problem. 
that I think that there's, I think it's a, there's a problem inside of the hardware that they can't, uh, that they can't fix. So, uh, so I think that software manufacturers will have to fix it on their end. If you're like, if you're a Zoom or a Windows, you know, I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't know who would do that. I mean, like it's, it's a Zoom or Teams or Google or, or Wirecast or others might have to do the transform on their end. But I don't think that, I actually don't think that Blackmagic's capable of fixing the blacks. Uh, going out. And by the way, it is not just the UVC. It is also, we have found that it is in this, in this test, it is also the encode. <laughs> so if you're streaming from an ATEM, you're getting crushed blacks as well. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, a couple of things. So when I do ISO records on the ATEM, it looks significantly better. It doesn't have that problem. Um, I agree with you. I think they can't fix it. I think that, um, and without knowing anything about how they developed it or the internal hardware, I just think they shipped it with something that compresses the video output. And clearly yeah, the so UV... That's, that's the the H2, UV there's an H.264 chip in all of these right. things that do that process. And I think that it's, yeah, it's doing it's, something. It, it didn't seem like, I, I mean, I can only uh, suspect that it wasn't a priority for them, right, for the switcher. Because, I mean, most of the people that are using these switchers are probably recording to the hard drive and they're using streaming, this built-in streaming service, but they're not, you know, the fact that you can connect it to a UVC is nice to have, but it's not the primary you don't buy an ATEM just because it has a USB UVC output, so you can use it as a webcam, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. So I, you know, and, and, and I have to admit that I kind of put up with it for for my connection to Zoom and I didn't think about it. I, I was like, it didn't occur to me that it would be in the encode as well. Um, but when we, you know, so, and I haven't needed to stream from my, from my mini, I think that they just figure, and I think probably because they're probably not getting that many complaints except for people who are really particular like us, that um, a person, streaming from a, you know, most people streaming from a uh, A10 mini just aren't going to notice <laughs> that, it, that it's that it's crushing the blacks a little bit. Go ahead, Courtney. If the HDMI output looks okay, have you tried running the HDMI out through a Magewell? You 100% uh, can. Yep, that's the fix. Fine. It looks fine that way, yeah. Yep, and and I'm um, I'm considering doing that. The, the, so the problem with running that out is that you'll end up with a double delay. So you'll delay your audio, you'll delay your video even more going through the second thing. And I'm having, enough, which means that I have to either embed in my camera or embed in the switcher. And I find embedding in the switcher to be embed. Well, there's embedded audio in the HDMI out that that would then get in. No, but I'm into the USB, right? No, but if but right now what happens is is that I'm I am my audio goes in separately to, to Zoom. It doesn't touch the video. So if I add more delay to the video, I have to add more delay to the audio, which I'm trying to avoid. The, I would have to, to keep that from happening, I would have to either embed in the camera or embed in the, um, in the switcher. Um, and uh, I'm back to the FX30, by the way, if anyone's wondering, I, uh, after yesterday's little tie. Um, Just stick an air conditioner uh, on the back of it. The EV, the, uh, I'm pretty sure I'm sending back the ZV-E1. Um, it, it, it closed without warning, uh, about four times in two days. <laughs> so, so like, it just, it just turns off. It's like, okay, I'm off. And I'm talking, I'm not talking about a hot environment. It's like 65 degrees in my, in my office. And so it is not a webcam anyway. So, so, so anyway, uh, I'm going to do a couple more tests to see if we can keep it on for a day just before I send it back, but it's not going to be something I'm going to keep. Um, anyway, but, uh, uh, the, um, but I would have to embed it into the, into the, into the camera 
which could work. Uh, and then that would fix it. And I am thinking about embedding into the camera for a variety of reasons, just to eliminate any of the delay issues that are there. Uh, it just kind of munges up my my pipeline. So that's that's what I'm, so the, anyway, that's it. Yeah, go ahead, CJ. It's kind of funny. My very first Office Hours question was about uh, my Mac screen didn't look right. Like the everything was washed out in the whites. Um, and I thought it had to do with like, what HDMI display or what uh, color profile my Mac was sending to the output, it ended up being the same thing. It was the video compression. And through our conversations, I ended up putting a cam link into the chain to take the HDMI out. Is that, I mean, for most people, is that what would get the job done if they wanted to go by capturing program out via HDMI or what what would be the the route yeah to I mean you can you can take program out of HDMI and that and you can record that you can you can encode it back into it and put it back into a stream on another another you know another encoder there's a bunch of things that you can do there that that's the fix you know like the fix is to is to not use you could pr you could pr if you really want to go crazy you could split that HDMI and then put it put one of them into a you know, um, you know, but but that's because like my outputs for a lot of the stuff go into my router, and then my router I can pass things where I need them to go to whatever monitor I want to put them on, and so so that would be the, um, uh, but but I think that yeah the HDMI looks fine. Like by the way, the HDMI seems to be working fine. It's just the the whatever's encoding to both UVC and to now we saw with the streaming is. I don't, I, I think it's an unrecoverable, I think it's inside the H.264 chip that they bought for this, um, you know, and I think that it was, um, yeah, go ahead, Alex. Yeah, a few, a few things. So yeah, that's, that's what I do, CJ, is I, I actually run the HD, one of the HDMI outputs on my switcher goes into an HDMI matrix, and then I have an output from that that go, that feeds a Roland encoder, which totally fixes the, the, the issue. The other question I'm curious about because a lot of people here on the panel have used a lot more Blackmagic products than I do. And I know they have a lot of other products that have a USB webcam output. I'm curious, uh, maybe Alex can speak to this. It, do those all have the same issue? Are they using the same chips on those other higher end Blackmagic products? I don't think so, but I don't, I don't know for sure. Um, you know, so I, I don't think that, I think that we found that we didn't find that with the web presenters. So the web presenters, I don't think are crushing the blacks. So I think this was a new, probably less expensive H.264 uh, encode uh, encoder that that was there. So um, what we really need to do is, uh, I'm going to try to I'm going to make another pass at getting the the SRI um, test signals, um, and I think we need to get that in there, and we need to start passing those through everything, like just just pass SRI into everything and just see what happens, um, because I think that that's going to help us uh, it, it, at at minimum. I mean, because what you really want is a camera. You don't want playback. You don't want to have something else. I want a camera uh, input if I can, or or something that's a pure video output that's designed for this kind of thing and then push it through the system. So we'll we'll do some more work on that to see if we can't figure, figure that out. The problem with computer outputs, um, as you can guess, is that there's a lot of things that can happen with the computer output itself that, that you know, invalidates the test. Yeah, go ahead, Alex. Yeah, I was just going to pull in from the chat because John Wallace was saying web presenters are doing it as well. He said web presenter oh. 4K has even bigger issues with redshift uh, apparently. Um, okay. And that's what that's what we need to, I mean, the that's why we need to, I think as a group, we need to think about how to build a big a test cycle. I know that um, some folks have already started doing that um, and, and done some good good work on that area. So we might want to think about how we pass pass that data and do some do some serious tests there.
Uh, next question. Our next question is from Andy Kokendorfer in Vieira, Florida. Squadcast, have you had problems with this service processing mixed audio video files? I got only one successful MP4 out of four people recorded. Other recordings are WebM without audio and separate WAV slash MP3 files. Uh, we got the files back. We, we we tested it for the the podcast that we work on. We thought we were going to... The problem that we have is that Zoom would be a great, incredible platform to do double-end recording, and uh, they, for some reason, aren't getting that done. So um, so they're not doing, even though they announced it. Not that I'm bitter. <laughs> so um, the... Uh, and so uh, the... Uh, so we decided we needed to do some kind of double-end, and we, we tried Squadcast a couple weeks ago. And it just stopped in the middle of the show. <laughs> just like, oh, I'm done. <laughs> you know, and then we had to start it up again. And uh, it stopped again. So it stopped twice. Um, when we talked to them about it, I guess they said that it was a bad, there was bad connectivity on the far end. But bad connectivity does not mean stop all records. Like it's, it is like it was a, I mean, it, it, especially when you're double ending, that's why you're double ending is because you have low bandwidth. <laughs> like so, so the, uh, you know, like it should have been able to degrade that uh, gracefully and do that. So uh, we are not using it anymore. So, so that's, that's, you know, like it was, I don't think I, I couldn't find a, I couldn't find a solution. They didn't give us a solution that had me feel like I could consistently execute an event with their product. So, which is unfortunate because I've been in a bunch of things where I did it. Uh, and it was fine, but I don't, yeah, I don't know what happened. Um, next question. Jeremy Horn in the San Francisco Bay Area used the QR code to ask, I've been using OpenCom bone conduction headsets with JK Audio Blue set, Blue set adapter for three years now, and the battery does not last anymore. I'm wondering if anybody has found a bone conduction headset that is wired for comm. Need to keep my ears open. Yeah, there's a, I think that there's a lot of, um, I don't know. There seems to be a lot of them on Amazon. I don't. I don't know of any ones that I've used. I have to admit that uh, my uh, my solution would probably be buy another pair. <laughs> I know it's like, but but I uh, you know the batteries weren't working. I don't know if I would go to a wired version of them. I, I will say that I the idea. I mean, I I know that I complained a lot when Apple um, got rid of the headset, but I couldn't imagine. Uh, you know, going back to, I mean, there, there are ones on Amazon, but I just don't know if there, any of them are any good, um, you know, as far as um, bone conduction and the open comm is so convenient. Like that's the, the, the problem is it, it fits so well. Go ahead, CJ. And the, if you're using it on a daily basis, I, three years with how small those batteries are, you may have just exhausted the uh, cycles in a lithium ion or a lithium polymer battery. I, I, no, no, I, I do think that's what he, what happened, and I think he's just looking for wired ones that might last longer. But I would, um, you know, the problem is is that it's not just if you're using it for comms, it's not just finding a headset that's going to have have this work. It's also having a headset with a boom. I think the boom on the open comms is super important, um, and so because it really knocks down the, especially in a loud, loud environment or if you're in a production environment, I find that that boom is the key to the operation. So. Having that boom come down um, is important. And I don't think you're going to find an, a wired, because it's so unpopular now, wired headsets are so unpopular, you're not going to find a high-quality bone conduction with a good boom. That combination is not going to happen. I, I just don't believe it'll happen. Um, and so uh, so I think that your best bet is to just buy another open comm and, and uh, know that you, you now know how long they last. 
if you use them every day. <laughs> so, um, uh, so uh, the, I know, like, like, I just would um, just think about it. If, if you know, it's like, well, let's see. If if you've used it, what was it? Three years. That's that's about um, uh, a little over a thousand days, and it's you know, it's it's like it's like thirty cents a day. Like they just cost thirty cents a day to use. <laughs> just think of it that way. Just like it's like it's like a little. It's it's not even a it's not even a coffee a day to to have uh, good communication with your friends. Now go ahead, CJ. Reminds me of like it's like when I was growing up. I, I think I broke an etch a sketch or something, and my parents were and I was really upset about it. My parents were like, oh my congratulations, you wore out your first toy. Like <laughs> <laughs> see, like I'm I'm the person that like my my um uh the the guy came to fix our sink and he said, you know, if you keep on putting these things down the sink. Uh, you know, I'll have to come back every every two years or so to fix it. And I and I and I asked how much does it cost him when he does it? And it's like one hundred fifty dollars or something like that. And my wife was like, "Never put those things down the sink again." And my my thing was, it cost ten cents to put whatever I want down the sink, <laughs> ten cents a day. <laughs> so, so anyway, two different views of things. Uh, next question. Our next question comes from Laura Thompson in Texas. Is it possible to have an X Zoom meeting function like a webinar from the participant side? No camera or ability to unmute at the beginning, then enable the camera and unmuting during speci the specific time to interact. This was asked via the QR code. I believe that there is. I think you can have, there's a new focus mode. I haven't used it, but I believe that there is a new uh, focus mode in meetings that lets you lock it there. And someone's going to have to, jump in and let me know. I, I haven't used it. So I haven't used it in meetings. It's just not how we view meetings or how we approach meetings there. Um, but but I believe that there's a new way that you can kind of cut everybody out so that you can do the the um, the the webinar style process there. So um, I'm not 100% sure, but I, I think that, that that is possible now. Um, next question. Our next question is from Hazmuk Gajar, back from Cape Town, South Africa. We have eight iMacs for our video editing team, 2018 being the latest. Rendering on this iMac took 11 hours. The same project on a 16-inch MacBook Pro M2 took 45 minutes. It's time to refresh our setup. With the M3 announcement, what is the right Mac? I go, CJ. The, uh, even considering the M3s that just came out, I still think that unless you're really wanting to be married to that screen forever. If you've got a 2018 iMac to go to an M2 Pro Mac Mini would be a tremendous jump in performance. And if you're happy with the with the render time that you're getting out of that MacBook Pro, I think that Mac Mini would be a really, really great solution, especially if you're going to get eight of them, because uh, that multiple adds up quickly. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, so as far as uh, which Mac to go with, the question would be, do you need to be mobile? If that's the case, then you're going to have to go with a MacBook Pro. Personally, for me, I'm not a huge fan of Macs, uh, or not Macs. I'm not a huge fan of notebooks in general because they tend to heat up quite a bit. So a Mac Studio currently with an M2 Ultra chip, uh, if you have the budget for it, which would probably be by the time you add upgraded storage, you're probably looking close to what uh, a high-end MacBook Pro with the Max chip would be anyway. So I, I, I would think that would be a better way to go because you got a better cooling solution in the Mac Studio. And the, the M2 Ultra chip is uh, uh, an amazing processor. Yeah, um, you know, the uh, uh, I'd be tempted to test the Mac Minis 
In fact, what you ought to do is upload that file and have someone someone like me <laughs> use a Mac Mini, uh, maybe even a Mac Mini Pro, um, and uh, and um, try to look at what that looks like as rendering nodes. I'd be tempted to use Mac Minis for those right now. Um, and I'd buy a couple and not not go crazy with it. And the reason I would say that right now is because I think that you, I would wait. My guess is is that sometime in the first half of next year, you're going to see M3, um, Mac Minis, Mac Pros, Mac Studios are all probably due by next June. So you know, I don't, I wouldn't call this the season to buy something that is going to do a lot of hard work. I think that you know, iMacs are. I don't like updating the screen. Like the screen will last a long time for what I need it to do. So I don't want to buy iMacs. Um, and I don't think that the, and right now the the non-iMac, and I don't think that like laptops to me are not a, you're paying a lot for something. I wouldn't buy laptops to do production work. Like I, you, laptops are for doing production work on the road. <laughs> you know, so so they're, they're maybe, these may be faster, but it only means that the Mac minis and studios and pros will be that much faster next year. Um, so I'd be tempted to not, and I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't go all in on a Mac studio right now because we know that it's got less than eight months left, you know, like to, to, you know, to go down that path because Apple can't leave this weird cliff for more than I think six to eight months, which is they can go to, they can go, they can get all the way out to potentially, uh, WWDC, but it's really weird to do what Apple's doing right now. And I think that they need to stop doing this, which is the pro versions of these things. Because what they're going to see is, and it doesn't matter to Apple. I think that's the bottom line. They don't sell very many of the pros. And so they don't, I don't, I don't know, maybe they don't care. But it's super weird to have your high end stuff have chips that are slower than your low end stuff. And I don't understand who thought that that was a good idea, but it's a bad idea. <laughs> like it's just a bad idea to do that because now no one wants to buy pro the pro stuff because of that. But I will say that if you saw this huge jump on with your your 16 inch Mac, your M2, get a, buy one Mac mini pro, throw it into your system, throw things at it and see what it does. Um, and just have that be your ren little rendering node, maybe even one or two of them. Um, that's going to cost you a lot less than buying a, even the base two Mac Mini Pros will cost you about the same as one studio at the pretty low end um, and um, or mid end, I guess a Max you could get. Run those and see how they how they how they do it. Or you could get one Mac Studio that's like a Max. The Ultra is really a big jump in cost, but you still get the ProRes chips in the. The Pro strips and the H.264, H.265 are coming in the smaller ones as well, and that's what's really what's really making that a lot faster. Are those dedicated processors? And go ahead, Nigel. Yeah, I have a, I have the studio with the Ultra, and it's looking very long in the tooth now. And so I I would I don't know I'll be upgrading it. I don't know I need the capacity, um, but I'm expecting that they to clean that up. Uh, in, you know, second quarter next year. What's interesting for most of us who come from a silicon background is. You typically put your brand new chips in the higher end products because yeah. you couldn't get enough of them to start with. You weren't getting enough, you know, through the through the fab. Whereas Apple almost goes the opposite way, which is interesting. But I would tell you, I don't think I will ever buy another MacBook Pro. I I, I don't I don't have to move high end videoing around with me if I'm editing video. I have to tell you that I do it at home. And I now travel almost exclusively with uh, iPad Pro. And I think the iPad Pro with an M3 chip in it, with a keyboard and mouse, 
is becoming increasingly the way that uh, I work mobily. I, I, would I like a bigger screen? I, maybe, but 12.9 seems pretty good to me. I'd, I'd be very careful about investing in the MacBooks. I, I, the Pro line, you, you've got to really, really, really need that portability because there's a huge premium for it. This is the 2020 last Intel version. That's my, this is what I go on the road with a little, and which I don't really like that much. It's not like I love it. It's just that I don't feel the need to get anything newer. Like it does the thing that I need it to do, which is mostly get on this show when I'm traveling. <laughs> so that's the, that's what it does the most. Um, I am going to try now that the, you know, I, I am going to attempt to do all of this, you know, with iPads and phones and stuff like that, but I haven't, haven't gotten all the way down that path yet. Um, yeah. So next question. Douglas Carmichael asks, what's the best way to report a Logic Pro bug to Apple? There isn't a category for Logic Pro in the feedback assistant. Go ahead, CJ. Uh, Apple.com slash feedback. You can leave feedback on almost anything, including some really nice Mac apps like DVD player. So Apple.com slash feedback if you'd like to leave it on anything. Next question. Stefan Fischer in Würzburg, Germany asks, I experienced some weird distortions after being beginning to use the Fenwick solution. Now I discovered that the settings in the MIDI app of my Mac are not only set to 48 kilohertz, some are set to 44.1 kilohertz. What causes these settings to change? Go ahead, CJ. The Fenwick solution. I love it. Um, <laughs> so I've also implemented the Fenwick solution uh, had to, one of the very first things that I ended up having to do was make sure that all of the uh, sample rates were at 48 kilohertz. I don't get consistent distortion, but I do get a, the occasional, like even during this show, I'll get a one second moment where the where core audio will crash and it'll move over to the Mac and then come back. And then uh, investigating a little bit more, uh, got feedback from Mickey that there are some uh, uh, reliability issues on the M series chips when you're uh, with core audio uh, in this pipeline. So there's there is the chance that that has something to do with it. I would check your logs to see if is there is it if it's an intermittent thing. If it's consistent, then uh, I'm going to have to defer to Alexander. Alex. Yeah, so if you're getting distortion at any point, uh, you are going to want to closely start picking apart the entire chain. Um, this is where when you're doing these types of things with loopback, audio hijack, you got a lot of moving parts. And so it's very easy to uh, get into trouble when you have all these different modules and one thing feeding another thing. So I would carefully go through all that stuff and check all of it. As far as the uh, the sample rates are concerned, definitely make sure everything is set to whatever you want it to be. If it, you want it to be 48, then set it to 48. Uh, what can cause it to change? Well, if you're opening up another app that needs to access core audio. So for example, uh, on my computer, if I am working in a Pro Tools session and I've got it set to 96 kilohertz. Uh, if I open that up, it's going to change everything on the system to 96 kilohertz. So um, maybe check what other apps you're using. If you've got something, a pro audio or a video app that's working in another sample rate, that could force your audio interface to change there. Next question. Rick Gray in Washington, D.C. used the QR code to ask, I have heard that NDI is not full video bandwidth. Is that true? I still run a video cable from camera to switcher. 
Go ahead, uh, Courtney. Well, it depends. I'm not an NDI expert, but I know that supposedly, according to uh, NewTek, uh, originally full NDI is the quote uh, full bandwidth uh, lossless compression. As a proprietor, they do do some intraframe. I mean, some uh, compression, intraframe compression, but it's supposedly lossless. Now, I don't know. I haven't measured it to know that MDI. NDI HX, which is designed, is the more compressed H.264 version. And now I think in HX3 is the latest uh, uh, compression uh, engine that they have in there that is is much more efficient and squeezes things down a lot more and looks a lot better than the original HX or HX2. So depends on which version you're using if you're using it just between a camera and your switcher you're not not going outside your local area network you should use full hd uh full ndi full which is the lossless compression and you'd have to do test against the sdi link to see if you're seeing any video differences but they say you're it's supposedly lossless yeah the ndi um the full ndi i think runs up to about 150 megabits a second now you have to remember that if you are um, using 1080p 60 the uncompressed version of that is three gigabits so it's so you're they're definitely compressing it they're they're claiming that it's lossless the way for you to find that out is to run it through uh, ndi run a time code um, system through NDI um, and then run it through NDI and then run it through the hardware directly. Uh, record both of those streams, line those frames up. And the way you can do that is set um, both set them into your editor, into your editing package, whether it's Final Cut or Resolve or Premiere, set them in there and put one on top of the other and then set the top one to a difference layer because it'll if it's black, it means there's zero difference. If it's white, there's a lot of difference. Set them in difference, and the time code will help you find the right frame, and then you just nudge the frames until it goes mostly black. <clears throat> and then you'll see if it's really lossless. <laughs> if it turns perfectly black, it means it's lossless. Um, if it has any flex or any kind of little gray areas or whatever, and and the way another thing you can do is add another layer on top of that or an adjustment layer on top of that and increase the contrast. Um, and then you're really going to see if there's anything changing in that system. And what we typically do to do this is we, <clears throat> sorry, we we create uh, what we call widow makers. Um, so these are, a lot of us will walk around with our camera and we we take pictures that we know are really hard to encode. So I have these, I have a, um, so we, <laughs> these are like what, what we tend to call internally widow maker tests. And, um, and so the, uh, so we, we put down a, we, we drop a, uh, um, like a, I, I have some stuff of goat rock in, in Bodega Bay. There's all these layers of waves and then there's reflections and then there's the sky and there's all these other things. It's really hard to encode. Um, and so, and then I do another thing. I have another test where I have a, I have, um, it's literally like a little wind vane, but the two of them are running in different directions. So you can't make temporal, um, uh, educated guesses. And so the, so that becomes a, that's a compression test that we use. And we run those through and then run it through exactly what I just told you. And then you'll really get a sense of whether the compression is working or not. Um, the HX, I think, is 1 to 50 megabits per second. It's adjustable and it's a much higher latency, 800 to 200 milliseconds instead of, I think, the nominal is like 16, 16 milliseconds for uh, the full bandwidth NDI. So it is not, it may be lossless. It is definitely not... Uh, 
it may be lossless. It's definitely uh, not uncompressed. Uh, it's definitely compressed, but it may be fine. 150 megabits is a lot. <laughs> like you know, it's it's a lot of like that's a that's a, that's a pretty uh, pretty heavy signal. Uh, and oftentimes people have more trouble with their overall network capabilities than they have with um, the quality of the NDI signal um, as they as they go through that process. So those are some things to think about. Like I wouldn't. I know people do. I would not key a. NDI stream. <laughs> so, so, um, but I would, uh, cause I want every bit of, you know, uncompressedness that I can possibly get. Um, but, but I think that for general purposes, it's probably fine. Um, next question. TJ Asher in Minneapolis, Minnesota wants to know what's new and fun in home theater. Is anyone hearing whispers of anything exciting for CES in a couple of months? Go ahead, Nigel. Yeah, I think we're still a little bit away from the CES stuff, although I expect what you'll see is that there'll be uh, increasing reduction in price on display systems um, and, and improvement in audio um, uh, systems for your home theater. So we're going to talk home theaters for a minute. We're not talking watching TV at home in your living room. So home theaters, you know, the top of the end, maybe the projectors, an $80,000 uh, 4K Sony projector. So we expect those those prices to come down. Uh, if you'd like a Samsung wall, uh, we'd love to sell you one. They come in two different sizes, 100 inch, 146 inch, 146 inch, one 4K is about a quarter of a million dollars. Uh, it's it's less than, you know, it's 0.86 millimeter picture. It's a pretty nice screen. But I think really- Wait, wait, did you say 0.86? Yeah. So, yeah. So and so Samsung walls used to come in like pox. They came building yeah. themselves. Now they prepackage them into 100, 146 inch. Uh, uh, two other things I think I would mention. Uh, really, for for if you have a garden, you need a C seed, two hundred inch uh, outdoor television. Uh, look them up. You could be your own personal Bond villain. They're about seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, but they go into the ground. They come out and they unfold. They're really really lovely and. <laughs> Um, that that's really, but but joking aside, if if you really had, you know, a a fairly decent home theater with good projector and a good screen, screen innovations, uh, diamond black screens, ten thousand dollars, probably really nice screen. Um, I think you got to clean up what delivers the content, and I think this is the next sort of place we're going to. So we know that our Apple TVs do a pretty good job, but they're fairly compressed, and the audio goes all over the place. I would recommend a, a Kaleidoscape a system, probably $10,000. It comes with a server and a, a remote players. Um, the, the movies that you download are probably nearer 100 gig. And they're doing some really fun things, cleaning up old movies. You can actually listen to um, Top Gun with a, the original Top Gun with the new soundtrack. So that, that's really, I think, where I would focus on uh, if I was going to do something. And I had $10,000 to spend. That's great. CJ. I, I don't even know how I'm supposed to follow that. That was, <laughs> but uh, the the one thing that, that was I'm, the, let me show you how deep the water actually is. <laughs> I was like, I, I was, I was, um, no, what I'm most interested in seeing is, um, well, I, I'm just really amazed that in the, in the last five or six years, if you're not spending, you know, Bond villain money on your home theater, uh, there's, 80-plus-inch OLEDs now for under $5,000. It's amazing. And then it's LG stuff, the, which I consider, to, the, you know, their C-line is, is one of the better ones that are out there. Uh, but even what Epson's doing with these laser projectors uh, that are the ultra-short throws, I mean, you need to have a really flat wall if you do that, but uh, or, or to make sure your screen's really tight. But to me, it's 
even the 8Ks are getting to be sub $10,000. And I know obviously there's not going to be, you know, a plethora of 8K content out there. But but for me, really, it's it's seeing, okay, what was the what was the $25,000 system of two years ago or three years ago is now coming into something that's more accessible. In terms of a technology point of view, Apple kind of uh, threw a flag out there with spatial audio with their uh, – with putting Atmos right into music. And now it it's that term has kind of been muddied because a couple of other people are saying spatial, but they don't mean Atmos because they don't want to pay the Dolby fees. Uh, but the support for systems like, like Sonos is now starting to support Dolby Atmos, uh, but they're not supporting Apple lossless, but they are supporting lossless on Amazon Music. Uh, really, if you're talking to more on the consumer end systems, it's it's how are all of these emerging technologies starting to get supported in some sort of standard way? Because it's a little messy right now, and I'm hoping that uh, what we see this year in that in that home audio and home theater space or hi-fi space is that we get some sort of coming together of of all these disparate new technologies. Yeah, the I, I will say that uh, Apple did a push things pretty far forward with Dolby when they just adopted them for just about everything. And it put an enormous amount of pressure on the market. I mean, so there is a lot of, as you said, a lot of other things like, hey, I don't want to pay the Dolby fee, so we have HDR 10 plus. You know, HDR 10 plus is, I'm too cheap for Dolby. Um, you know, that's when we see HDR 10 plus on, on someone's TV. Um, and so uh, the um, so I think that you're going to see, I do agree that, that immersive is going to be, you know, some kind of immersive sound. Um, is going to be something that you're going to see more and more of. I, I will say, as a person who's had it for a long time now, you can. I just it just sounds wrong. Like when you see when you see something in stereo, you're like, "What happened? What happened?" You know, like unless it's like a stand up comic, which is fine. Um, but even then, like I was watching uh, uh, Nate Nate Bargatze, um, one of his things, and the the crowd was all mixed into surround. I mean, they didn't like they weren't messing. You know, that was um, you know they were still doing all that mix there. So, um, and I, you know, I, I notice it. Um, I do think that you're right that 80, you know, I think that the high watermark for TVs is really, you know, for a consumer, not, not a supersumer, like, uh, like what Nigel was talking about, but a consumer. Um, I think that, uh, the 80 inch 120 frame per second, um, HDR is, is where we're going to stop. Now that 120 frames, remember, is evenly divisible by 60, 30, and 24. So that's why a lot of these, these TVs are, and all the TVs are 120 now. It's just a matter of the content, but notice how many cameras all the way down to the new little Osmo, you know, do 120 frames a second. The only thing missing right now is the delivery pipe to deliver 120 frames per second. And the, the rumor is, is that the Apple TV currently, the newest one, has the the beef to do it. It just hasn't, they haven't turned the switch to allow it to do 120 out. Um, and it's like an HDMI protocol thing, but but the, the the cameras are all capable of it. The TVs are all capable of it. And I and I, just the, when you watch this, it's gonna be some CES that the, 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 I think that the thing flips, which is suddenly you start seeing a whole bunch of 120 frame per second content. And as someone who's seen a lot of 120 frame per second content, I can tell you that when you, if it starts happening all the time, you all you can see is frames when you look at the old stuff. Like you know, like you just you just see frame, 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 frame. frame. It, everything looks like it's jagged, like this, because you're used to suddenly seeing a window that looks into you know um, you know looks into reality. Yeah, CJ, real quick. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to mention was just from a just from a pure 
fidelity point of view, I hope that there's a little bit more advancement in when they take the Atmos mix and they try to make it binaural. I don't find that to be a great experience, but when I listen to it in my 5.1 or my 7.1, then I get really excited by it. And 120, by the way, was also what you always say is the high, just to go on your point, is the high watermark for what those Vision headsets need to be to get really, really good. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if we get 120 out of those Vision headsets by the time they ship. That's my, that's, I'm going to be bold and guess that uh, the 90 is kind of the minimum right now. Uh, we're going to be jumping in the second hour here in just a second. Um, quick reminder that uh, we will have at 9 o'clock, we will, are going to have a uh, a panel uh, meeting. And we're just talking about that. So if you're if you're a panelist, um, uh, reach out to us if you haven't already gotten the invite. Um, but uh, we're doing that at 9 o'clock right after uh, this show. And, um, of course, tomorrow will be introspection. So, And we're rem- a reminder that that's going to be inside of Zoom. So look for the announcements there. Welcome back to the second hour. I did it. I did it on a weekend. So excited. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I forget. I forget on the weekends because I'm much more relaxed. Uh, next question. The next question is from me, myself in Reno, Nevada. For my home setup, I need to add some form of noise assist when I'm at work. I also prefer to send sound to both my home Mac and work PC simultaneously if possible. What's the best solution for this problem under $1,000? US I cannot install drivers on my PC. Go ahead, John. Yeah, so a little context is I have a Blackmagic Pocket Cinema Camera 6K that currently my flow weight sends the monitor out into the um, 6K's in audio in, and then that will go into through the HDMI in my ATEM Mini Extreme, uh, which is how I get the sound into my PC at work. Um, and then for my Mac, I just run it through the USB on my flow weight. The problem is my work laptop, the fan runs almost 100% of the time because uh, we buy cheap laptops. And so there's always background fan sound, and I'm trying to eliminate that. Go ahead, CJ. Uh, I was just trying to think. I, I know that retail, a Mix Pre 3 with noise assist, would go would go over the budget. But do you need a special driver for that to get it into a PC? Oh, the, well, the Mix Pre, I mean, oh, you're talking about the Mix Pre? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, you... You can only run it on the mix pre. I mean, you can only run the noise assist on the mix pre. That's the problem. That's the challenge. right. That was going to be my. That was going to be my comment, though. It's like, I'm. If wouldn't you just try to? And, and, isn't and, that the and, route you would go? Sorry. And John, you're you're you're. It needs to be a. It needs to be on a PC or a Mac or both. Uh, both simultaneously, if I can. I mean, I'd rather not just plug in and unplug USB cables all day when I'm switching between the machines. So that's one thing I'm trying to solve for. I don't know if the mix pre can do that, like two outs, or how I would do that. Got it. Yeah, go ahead. Go you ahead. could do an you could do an analog out of the Mix Pre three and then split it somehow if you didn't want to plug it unplug. I know it's not the most elegant solution, but it would it would do the I think the best job to kill the noise because I've I in the room that I'm sitting in I spent an inordinate amount of time trying to kill noise in every possible way except plunk down the money on the Mix Pre three and I failed every single time and I'm embarrassed at how much time I spent on it. <laughs> And then I bought a Mix Free 3, and it's great. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard not to have it. Yeah, go ahead, Alex. Yeah, so a couple of things. Uh, yeah, you're right about the, the Mix Pre 3 with noise assist would, would bring you over budget. Um, I was just looking at the prices online. You could get an Apollo Solo interface, which just has one mic pre, and then get, because it has onboard DSP processing, you could get their CVOX um, C-suite plugin that has broadband noise reduction, and that will will give you that. Like if you've got a persistent background noise, 
Um, that's not going to come down. Like, yes, you can use downward expansion to try to, you know, push down the microphone when you're not talking. But as you're talking, you're still going to have this fan noise with that. So you need some kind of broadband noise reduction that's really going to be able to separate between what's actually your voice and what's actually that noise. And uh, the Apollo interface is 500 bucks US and then the C-suite is $350. So it's about 850 before tax. So that comes in just under $1,000 there. Go ahead, Courtney. Well, you said you can't install drivers so that my solution probably won't work for you. I was going to say if you have an RTX a card in your PC, you can run the broadcast app, uh, which not only has a really good uh, noise removal program, but it also corrects your eye contact uh, for your image. So it moves your eyes back into the camera, regardless of where they wander to. Yeah. Um, the other one that you may want to look at, I think that Bill's using universal audio as a uh, interface and he's got a Cedar plugin, which is not as good as noise assist, but not very far away. Um, so he has a Cedar plugin and I believe that's being processed in the, the universal audio. So you do need the app to get it set up, but I'm not sure if you can't just have it on something. But again, I think that, you know, I, and I don't know, I don't know enough about it. Maybe ask when you see Bill on to talk to about his universal audio setup, but, but that's, um, but he, he has a universal audio and it seems it's very quiet, um, especially just for voice um, and a fan. Fans are really relatively easy to get rid of uh, with the, uh, this kind of processing. Uh, next question. Our next question is from Nigel DeSau from Austin, Texas. Anyone pre-ordered the Humane Debut $700 AI pen? What is it? I don't understand, Nigel. Like, I don't understand what this is. So it, you think I wasted a lot of money with the home theater stuff. That is nothing. There is this new device called the AI pen, and it's 700 bucks unless you want a good battery on it, and I think it's nearly 1000 And if you watch the videos, then as far as I can see, mostly what it's about is... It's got um, a little light, and you just get to, you get to hang you around. You press the button, you press the button on it, and it tells you, you can talk to it like you could your phone, and it projects on your hand a little screen, and you can look at the weather and stuff, and it, it's a piece of te technology designed by a set of Apple people desperately in search of a market. I wonder whether I missed something significant about this, or whether it's just people who don't know, you know better I, what to do with their money. I hesitate to make fun of it because, you know, all, it always comes back at you. You know, you go, oh, that was the dumbest thing ever, and then everybody's got one. But it does seem like the dumbest thing ever. Uh, uh, go ahead, uh, Courtney. Yeah, if they've used the Siri technology for the voice uh, interface, yeah, exactly. I'd, worry, I'd worry seriously about it. And does it... Uh, I think it's uh, it connects directly through T-Mobile or through a wireless network, or does it connect to your phone? No, you you have to have a T-Mobile subscription with it, right? So it 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 doesn't need a phone to work, so it doesn't interface with your phone. So it's it's kind of like a little phone in a little box uh, in a uh, Star Trek communicator badge that you can tap or wake up by talking to it with Siri built in and a little. Uh, laser projector that will project onto your hand, you know, a small amount of data, but just data, just you projectors. Know, and I think this will be really useful for the people who don't have phones that could just do ChatGPT, like literally talk to ChatGPT while they were doing it. So it'd be really useful for that because I, I bet you there's a there's a really high percentage of people that don't have phones that would want to buy a seven hundred dollar AI pen. <laughs> there's like, like, I just don't understand. I'm I'm. I'm just going to say, I'm, I know I'm going to look foolish. Someone's going to take this clip and they're going to play it back for me any year when everyone's wearing one, but I don't get it like at all. Like I don't, like I was like, mm, no, thank you. All right. Um, next question. 
Next question is from Peter Belbin in Houston, Texas. With the Roland project products mentioned earlier, with webcam and audio with aud and audio separate, do they account for the delay of audio being needed to match with video delivery timing? Now go ahead, Nigel. So Alexander may have the technical answer. I'll give you the sort of semi-practical answer, which is I would never use it in a production situation where I really, really cared about any of these things. I think it's a perfect device for sort of streaming, Zoom and stuff like that. Maybe it does. I didn't notice any delay, but I didn't put it into a real production environment where I was doing events. I did it for mobile travel. You go ahead, Alex. Yeah, I mean, Peter, if if you what you're saying is, does it account for delay? Uh, I mean, if you're expecting it to figure that out for you, no. Um, does it have delay options? Yes, they absolutely do. All Roland products do. The UVC zero two that we were talking about in the app interface, there is an option for delay on both the USB output, the incoming audio as well, if you need it. Um, and then of course there's, uh, and actually it even gives you headphone delay, which I'm not sure why you would need headphone delay, but it is there in the interface. Next question. Douglas Carmichael is back and asks, would the ATEM Constellation range still suffer from the crushed black issue? Uh, do they have, do they have a UVC connection on the constellations? I don't think they do. So to be clear, it only happens when it's compressing it uh, that we see this problem. So if it so if it goes in as a webcam, if it appears as a as a over uh, streams, um, we're seeing this problem. Uh, we don't see it in the general video throughput. So if you're doing SDI in, SDI out, HDMI in, HDMI out, we don't see any of that problem. We see it when it's converted to H.264. Um, one thing that I would be interesting for us to think about is what happens if we use H.265, which I think is some of, some of the other stuff that's there and whether that happens or not. So um, so there is a USB webcam output on the Constellation. There we go. Thank you, CJ. And um, uh, I bet you that it'll probably have the same problem. <laughs> I think this is a chipset that goes through all their stuff uh, and it's a problem that they're going to keep having. Um, so I think that it, you know, there's, you know, other other manufacturers have had these issues where they get in, they get something that just isn't quite right. Um, and I don't, again, I don't think they can fix it. Yeah, go ahead, Courtney. Well, do the 4K versions of the Constellation and the uh, 1ME and 2ME have a H.265 encoder for the UVC output? I think so. Um, I don't know for sure. So we have to do some, we have to dig into this. This became clear to us um, only in the last week or two because we haven't been doing the encoding. We always thought it was, oh, it's the UVC color space problem. And now we think it's a lot deeper than that, which also, you know, for us, also brings into question the bridge, all, all the bridge stuff that, that they're doing, like anything that has encoding. I mean, this is a, this is a thread that if we pull may, may be really ugly. Um, and we're going to have to start, um, we're probably going to get some hardware and do some testing. I don't think we can ask for loaner hardware for this one because, uh, because it's going to be bad. Um, you know, and so, but I think that we're going to have to test it across bridge. We're going to have to test it across everything else. But I think that there's potentially a crushing system that, that is going on anything that's actually compressing from black magic. Um, and we have to, I think we, we need to figure this out from a production perspective of, of what those deliveries look like. Um, next question. Andre Dole in Berlin asks, using Slido for a customer, is there a possibility to curate the questions by one person and show the curated questions on a laptop at the moderator's place without showing them to the audience? So previewing before sending live. This was asked via the QR code. Uh, go ahead, John. Yes, it looks like the professional plan does have some moderation capabilities for the Q&A uh, function. For so much money. 
That's why it was so expensive. Like, just like I, because I, I want to play with it and use it. And, and I was just like, wow, that's a lot of money. Anyway, um, next question. Eric Hertz in Hartford, Connecticut asks, if I run Zoom ISO to capture four to eight remote participants for local switching, which switcher do you recommend? Will I send an NDI or SRT from Zoom ISO to the switcher? You know, this depends on what you want to do with it. If, again, if you're in the room, you need to use a hardware switcher. If you're mixing and matching with cameras that are in the room, you're going to see delay against that stage. So what a lot of us use, you know, for the most part is Blackmagic hardware. You know, so we're, we're bringing these in. We're doing SDI out, not NDI or SRT. Um, now, if you're doing, if you, if you don't care about the cameras in the room or the sync, you can use a TriCaster, you can use vMix, you can use, uh, you know, a whole variety of um, Mimo Live will do it. Uh, so all of these, and you can send NDI to those seams. I would use NDI over SRT in, in once you're in the room because the NDI is going to be a lower latency, significantly lower latency than SRT. So, um, so I would use NDI if you're going to go to a software switcher. But again, if you're putting people on a screen that are on stage, you have to use hardware and you need to genlock it um, to that, to that um, or you, people are going to see the delay. They're going to see the delay no matter what. It is not going to be perfect, but every frame counts. Like every 10 or 15 milliseconds makes a difference when you're doing it in the room. So you just have to really pay close attention to that. Next question. Douglas Carmichael again asks, the Apple M3 Pro chip has 150 gigabyte per second memory bandwidth compared to 200 gigabyte per second on the M2 Pro. Why do you think Apple did this and what workflows could it make it an issue? Um, I think that, oh yeah, I got Courtney. I was just going to say maybe it has to do with that new dy dynamic level two caching that they implemented on the M3. So maybe that's going to take more of the memory bandwidth uh, to do the dynamic caching. Yeah, I think the dynamic caching is, is probably why it doesn't need that. And it's probably something to do with it um, to make that happen. So what we think the dynamic caching is doing is is really, it's not allocating total RAM. It's allocating the it's allocating more to the cache. And the cache is very small. It's, I don't know exactly how big it is, but it's like a fract, you know, it's like a tiny cache, but it can handle a lot of little things really, really fast, much faster than going out to memory, even though, I mean, 150 gigs is really fast like a, to talk to the memory or 200, but it's because of the cache that, that is, they're getting speed increases on most operations. Go ahead, CJ. Yeah, the only bummer in this cause, is because I was trying to do a little bit of research on your question before uh, it came up and everybody likes to report Apple drops their memory bandwidth by 25% and new M3 chip, but to, I think in the same vein that you're thinking, okay, and like, well, what does that mean? Uh, so right. it, it we'll know more once we get these in the wild and start getting some real production tests. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think that it is like, yeah, are the overall experiences and the only way for me, the only way to do this is I don't really care about the benchmarks very much. I care about I'm going to open a file that I was opening on something else. I'm going to run it. I'm going to run the same file on an M3 and I'm going to run it again. And that's going to tell me how does this affect my life? Um, because the, the the complexity of how these things are getting managed is so deep that, you know, you just have to remember that the the all these benchmarks and the measurements and everything else, you know, they're a very limited construct to, to com, you know, that is being used to describe a very complex system. And you, you just want to make sure that you understand that that is just the construct, not the system. And so, um, you know, it's, it's really important. Um, next question. 
Eric Hertz in Hartford, Connecticut asks, has anyone seen live encoding of AV1 for ingest? I'm skeptical that this is working anywhere with SRT, WebRTC, or HLS. Perhaps only YouTube has pulled it off with RTMP+, which would be a bummer. Will, who will be the first to do it right, and how? Um, there are definitely people testing it as, inge as an ingest, as a mezzanine uh, format. Um, uh, I, I don't think I can say who, but there are definitely people testing uh, the AV1 as the as the ingest format um, for these things, um, but I don't think that they uh, you know eventually it's going to be not only mezzanine but delivery, and that's why you have all those AV1 decoders. My guess is who will do it correctly first? Probably Apple. That's why they're putting all those AV1 decoders into all their machines. <laughs> so so they're you know so they're probably going to have a a ladder that says hey, by the way, here's AV1 and it's going to look better and sound better and all those things and be less bandwidth because Apple has control over their keynotes. And so what they can do is they can, um, you know, they have a whole bunch of big stack of encoders and they can define whatever they want as they, as they, as they push those out and they're building the ladder. They're doing all the transcodes. They're doing all the bits and pieces that are required to go out of it. So, and so as a result, and they also have one of the, I don't, one of the biggest shows um, the keynote for the iPhone, just to be clear, is one of the top 10 video shows um, of each year. <laughs> like like to, to give you a sense of how many viewers they have. Um, you know, so, it, you know, like they're it more than like, I mean, it's like Game of Thrones level. And so their ability to roll, but typically what happens is, is that you'll see them roll those things out um, throughout the other keynotes. Like what we saw, I think, the only reason that they did a, we've talked about this before, I think the only reason they did an announcement um, for the hardware that they updated for the for the Mac hardware was to show off the iPhone and to test the iPhone pipeline. So now what we're seeing is, can they, are they going, my question is, I think, I think that Apple may never shoot a keynote again on a big camera. I think it's all going to be iPhone now. They have, you know, they, because they have the smallest release that happened now, the next, this, the, the one that's slightly bigger than it will be in will be for uh, in March or so. That's typically their cadence. Then you'll see another one at W. At, and I'm I'm guessing that you'll see something that they shot with the iPhone that is stereo on that will that you can watch regularly or watch on the Vision uh, Pro. And then you'll see the same. And then what you're going to start seeing is them shooting these stereo sh um, uh, keynotes. So if you have a Vision Pro, you'll be able to put it on and see everything in in 3D uh, with your that was shot on an iPhone. But I think that's what they're ramping up for. Um, yeah, go ahead, Courtney. And for those of you playing for the other team, uh, the Intel uh, Meteor Lake processors, the 14th gen, have announced that they uh, will have AV1 encoding and decoding on the chip. Uh, so uh, it'll be able to do it uh, in the processor and hardware in the next generation of uh, Intel chips out there. So I'm, I'm sure they will be able to provide encoding uh, for a lot of the applications. I think they can. I think that, like who's going to do it well first, I think is the question. And I, I just, the problem is, is that I guess my experience with doing at least high-end work is that the Windows and Android platforms are pretty challenging because they're so fragmented. Um, and I've dealt with it directly, <laughs> like for a year. Uh, but when anyway. it's in, when it's built into the processor core, then it's less right. fragmented because it doesn't have to deal with an outboard video chip that can come from multiple different manufacturers. Yeah, but I think that where I guess what I would say is where I think that AV1 really it, it can be used for a lot of things, but where it really shows its it, its power is when you're starting to do things like Dolby Vision and and Atmos and stuff like that and 
Wow. That is a briar patch when it comes to Windows and, and Android. Um, <laughs> from underinvestment over a decade, uh, it is just brutal. Um, you know, so uh, most people that I know that started doing that stopped. You know, um, uh, just in case you're wondering, uh, one provider, one streaming provider uh, has to build four, over 400 manifests that are dynamically generated and delivered to the specific devices to make this work. Um, next question. Jeremy Horn from the San Francisco Bay Area is back with a clarification. Sorry, it's the blue set battery that's dying and now out of production. Uh, I want a wired version to wire into a FreeSpeak pack. Oh, uh, so he was talking about the JK Audio part, not the not the the open comms part. Oof, um, that is much harder. Wired. He so he wants to wire blue set, but I thought that JK Audio had a. Um, I thought they had a a pin, a five pin. Maybe that's the part that you don't have there. I don't understand what you're looking for, actually. Yeah, go ahead, CJ. And forgive me, uh, what's the connector on the FreeSpeak belt pack? Uh, I think it's a five pin. Uh, it's either a four pin or a five pin. Um, if you could somehow adapt it, I, I was looking into... Um, I was looking into... They have ta tactical bone conduction headsets for military and law enforcement applications that have a variety of connectors on the other end that are wired. For no, these are. This or, is a pretty specific one. It's so these oh, are. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, the product has been. How could they discontinue? It was such a great product too. So this is um, here. I'll. I'll uh, this is what he's talking about. Um, and we've we've used these in the past. So. The thing you have is you have belt packs, you have other other things like that, and you need to connect it to comms, which is exactly what he's doing, which is pretty actually pretty genius. Uh, we would expect nothing less from Jeremy. Um, and so, uh, but but this is what this looks like. So, you have these five pins or four pins, and these are designed to. And what happens is, is you plug those into the end of your free speak or in in, in the end of any of your comms, and then they do blue their Bluetooth, and then and now you can. Um, connect them as a Bluetooth headset, and they uh, and they work really well. I don't, I never under quite understand. You know, JK Audio hangs on to a lot of technologies that I'm like, is anyone using these anymore? And then they discontinue stuff that I feel like is really useful. But obviously, it must have been based on sales. I don't know anybody else that's doing it. Although I, I would probably go over and look at Studio Technologies and make sure they're not doing something like that. But I don't think that they delve too deeply. They delve a lot into comms. I don't know if they delve too deeply into Bluetooth, um, but uh, but I would I probably look at Studio Technologies just to make sure that they don't have something. But we'll start looking around. I don't have a, I don't have an answer for that because that's what the JK Audio ones is what we used all the time. Uh, next question. Robin Cutshaw in Atlanta, Georgia asks: Are you using the latest MixPre firmware? Any issues? Go ahead, Nigel. I was going to answer this uh, yes and then no. And then it struck me that I made the Fenwick system, audio system work. And then I think I upgraded my Mix Pre 3 and now it doesn't. So I don't know whether something changed in the configuration in the preset or something. So I, my warning as ever is save your presets before you do any of this because uh, strange things happen. But so I'm not saying the two are connected. I'm just saying it. this sort of happened in synchronous. Yeah, I... Um... I have to admit, I always forget to update my mix pre. And so like when I talk to them, I'm always like, this isn't working. And they're like, what version you're on? And I'm like, I'll tell them. And they're like, that was a year and a half ago. And I was like, oh, right. 
So um, so usually once they're working, I, I just think of them as a hard piece of hardware. I don't think about updating the firmware. And I would generally recommend with, with all upgrades to stay about six months behind the upgrade path. Just let them put an upgrade out. And if it sits for six months without a lot of complaints, then you can jump into it unless unless I look at the I look at the release nodes. If it's fixing something that I absolutely need, then I update relatively quickly. If I don't see it fixing anything that I use on a daily basis, I'm like, eh, I'm just gonna let it, I'll just stick with what I got for now. And then and then move up when it when it's settled in a little bit. Uh, next question. Eric Hertz in Hartford, Connecticut wants to know why is NDI lower latency than SRT when coming out of Zoom ISO? Um, it's not Zoom ISO. It's just the way that those 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 formats work. Um, so that they're just the way that they're they're set up in the and I, I I can't tell you technically why that is the case, but the um, but the but I just know that as they're packaged, NDI is designed to be low latency, and SRT is designed to be stable. And SRT is not designed to really work over a local network, and so it's designed to put in the error correction that's required so that it can go over the open internet. Um, and and that's not what NDI was built for. So NDI becomes less stable when trying to use it over the open internet, which some people do, and SRT is more stable that way, but what you give up is is latency. Next question. Peter Belbin in Houston, Texas asks, any clues as to when YouTube will allow SRT ingest for everyone? No idea. It's in test, it's in, it's in the, um, it's being tested right now, um, but it's not, uh, they haven't rolled it out to a wider, I'm sure when they figure it out, when they figure out what it is, I don't know if they ever will. Uh, to be honest, I don't know if they'll open it up for everyone. It may be a limited release. And the reason is, is that like in some way, so SRT creates a lot of overhead that isn't there with RTMP and um, for the error correction and everything else. And I think that if they let everybody stream to it, it's kind of like we, uh, if if they let everybody use Zixi, like we've, a lot of us have, have asked for Zixi. Uh, can we have Zixi ingest to YouTube? And it was, um, it was said that if if they use if they let every live streamer use Zixi uh, the way Zixi uses the internet, it would shut the internet down. Like it would just literally, it would just it would just bring it to a crawl. Just the live streams that go to YouTube, and so because it's so much more intensive, um, uh, network intensive, uh, but it makes sure that you get your bits from one side to the other. So I'm not clear that SRT will be delivered for everyone. I might get a text that someone watching that might, might correct me, but right now I don't think that that's going to be. Um, I don't think that that's gonna that may not happen or may not happen quickly because I think they have to very carefully look at not just what they're doing to YouTube, but what they're doing to the total ecosystem that they sit inside of. So it's going to be a very slow rollout. Um, next question. Alexander Knight from Port Coquitlam, British Columbia asks, I've been adding displays to my setup and it's starting to get annoying when I have to turn them off and on when I need it. My cinema displays have no power buttons, so I use hot corners to put them to sleep. Do you leave yours on 24-7? Go on, Alex. Yeah, so currently I have four displays. One of them, the one in front of me right now is the LG Quad. Then I've got two cinema displays, which have no power buttons. And then I have a touchscreen monitor here. Planning on adding two more. And it's becoming to the point where I don't want to leave them on all the time, but having to turn them off and on with different remotes and then the cinema displays, I got to use the hot corner to put them to sleep because I don't want I don't want the display going off in the middle of production or going to a screensaver. I've got all of that turned off. So just curious, putting the feelers out there, what does everybody else do? Mine are set to three hours and then they just turn off on their own. You know, like, and, and it just, you know, the, and the computers, I mean, my set, my computers are set to go to, to, 
to go to sleep after three hours. And so if I'm not using it for three hours, it might turn off, you know, like that, that might go to sleep there. But if it's doing something, it won't do that. Um, and so, but I don't turn, I don't individually turn the monitors on and off. You can, if you really wanted to, um, I use a, um, who makes this? Uh, this is a little one that actually doesn't work very well. Um, but, uh, you know, these little smart plugs. And um, so that's how I do my lights, right? So I I can turn all my lights off, on and off. So you could plug them all in. And um, Eve, E-V-E, makes um, like long power strips that are all individually addressable to each each one. That's how I handle the lights here. And so you could theoretically put all your monitors on it. They're so low draw. You could even probably connect them. You could probably put, connect them to a, a strip and then put them into either another strip or another, or, a, or I shouldn't say that on, on air. <laughs> you wouldn't, of course, I would never put a strip into a strip. <laughs> anyway, so, um, so the, uh, but plug it into a smart um, outlet and then you just hit something on your watch or on your phone and they'll just turn all turn off on, on, you know, you could even set it to a motion sensor when you walk out, you know, there's nobody here. I'm going to turn them all off, turn everything off. So that I think that's if you really want to be efficient, you know, it's it's you know I I I dip my toe into it. The smart stuff still drives me a little crazy. Like I I don't know something happened with my Mac and for like a day it wouldn't work. Like none of my none of my things worked at all. And then the next day it just worked. I didn't change anything. It just it just suddenly started working again. I was like I don't understand. And I go John. Yeah, for mine I do shut off all my monitors every night. It's three physical buttons for me. I'm wondering if the Apple cinema displays, I know they have some sort of um, chipset in them that makes them somewhat smart. Do they mind if you just cut the power completely with like a, a power switch or a smart switch? I don't know. Yeah, I just don't, because I don't have them. I don't, I'm not sure. Yeah. Next question. Our next question is from Eric Kurtz in Hartford, Connecticut. If I run Zoom ISO on a Mac mini and send the remote feeds via NDI to a Blackmagic switcher, as well as taking HDMI feeds from cameras in the room, how do I synchronize them all? Well, you don't use NDI to go to the Blackmagic switcher. You use an SDI. <clears throat> so you would do, uh, you know, so, so, you know, you would use, uh, so when you get Zoom ISO, you would have a sonnet box with a SDI, you know, like you can get a quad card that'll be eight outs or a duo card with four outs and you'll pass those as SDI back to the switcher. Um, or, you know, and, and, you know, I would, I would use SDI if I'm using zoom ISO because you'll get better density. Um, so I would do zoom ISO to SDI, um, and then the SDI into the switchers. I get a, if you get a ATEM mini extreme SDI, um, you, you, which I have, which works great. And that's what we use it for. Um, it's a great little, um, mix, uh, switcher for that kind of thing. Um, but it doesn't genlock. So if you get a constellation, you can genlock it uh, to all the cameras that are in the room. And that's how, and you're not really synchronizing them. The cameras that are in the room are low latency. The cameras coming in over Zoom don't have to be perfect latency. We're talking about, you know, they're, they're already losing, the person on the other end is already losing 150 milliseconds just getting to you. Um, and so you're just adding another 30 to, to their, um, you know, it's not, a, that, that's not a big deal. So, so, but yeah, you're not using NDI if you're using a Blackmagic switcher. And you're not, you should be using a Blackmagic switcher or some kind of hardware switcher if, you're do, if you have cameras in the room that are going to the screen. Um, next question. Robert Shoji in Los Angeles asks, I have a 2019 Intel MacBook Pro running Monterey with Final Cut Pro, Logic Pro, Compressor, and Motion. Any issues upgrading to Ventura or Sonoma? I go on, Alex. Yeah, I mean, 
I would state you can upgrade safely to Ventor at this point. It's matured. I mean, I just upgraded this past summer uh, and I tend to upgrade once they get to about version 0.6. That's pretty much at the end of the development cycle where it's, you know, it's fully matured all, it's still getting security patches, but it's pretty much feature complete and, and it's been tested. Uh, I would not suggest, I know other people have upgraded to Sonoma. I would not suggest upgrading to Sonoma. In fact, there have been, um, even with the four point, the 14.1 update, it actually introduced, I know some issues for Intel Mac specifically, uh, with certain apps. So I would tread carefully if you've got any uh, plugins, uh, audio video plugins, just check with the manufacturers, make sure they're fully supported. I know a lot of this stuff like Waves plugins, you gotta, you know, you gotta re-up your support plan and get updates to make them compatible with newer operating systems. So just make sure all of your apps are, are stable and supported. Go ahead, John. I would take a step back and ask, why do you want to upgrade? Um, being on an Intel machine means you're probably not getting a lot of the features that you would get from upgrading to those newer operating systems. So if everything's working fine and you're happy with how it's working now, I, I would probably hesitate to upgrade just because it's another opportunity for things to break, um, considering you might not get any features out of it. The one thing I could think of maybe needing to upgrade is like if you use notes frequently there there might be an upgrade that notes needs to change its format or something but ask yourself whether or not you really need to upgrade in the first place go ahead alex 100 percent what john said that is absolutely something you should always ask yourself i know i have run into as someone who's you know i've upgraded my ios devices to ios 17 but my my main mac is still on ventura and i am missing out on certain features in the notes app um, you know you get incompatibilities with with features and databases that need to be upgraded mess you don't get all the latest features in the messages app and sort of stuff like that but again i mean it, i guess it depends if you only have one computer that you're using as your everything machine i'm checking email i'm checking messages yeah you're going to lose out on some of those features on a main production machine if you have the luxury of two computers on the one that I'm doing video and edit, audio editing on, I will not run the messages app. Like I log out of all that stuff. I don't want any of that stuff interrupting me. So at that point, it wouldn't even matter. Yeah, I'm not sure if, um, uh, I don't think you can run USDZ on most of the things without going to Ventura. So I think that that might be one reason to go to Ventura. I've only taken one machine to Sonoma and it works fine but um, I'll probably wait for a little bit longer. Usually I find that, as Alex said, when, when they get to about, for me, it's more time. When they get to about February, I feel like Apple, my experience is Apple stops paying attention to the old one and starts paying attention to the new one. <laughs> so, you know, what's coming in June. And so um, so I feel like that you just don't see as many, uh, you see a lot, a kind of a flurry of updates in the first couple months, then it slows down. And then it gets real slow in January and February, and then it just stops. And then it, it's only security updates after that, typically. Um, and so, uh, so I think that you know, wait. I usually wait until um, typically end of January, early or early February to update to the last operating system across my system. And I just, you know, when I I have rushed it, and every time I've rushed it, I've paid a, a price. And it's not, again, it's not just Apple. It's all. It's it's allowing all of the app developers that are using the, the the platform to have all that time with what we call gamma testing. You know, there's alpha testing, beta testing, and then there's gamma testing. Gamma testing is when everyone is just using the, 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 the product and there's only so much you can do before it's released. 
And so then you see all these idiosyncrasies that are happening during, you know, once it's out in the wild. And in that gamma test, then there's a whole bunch of changes that that different people make to make that work. And that could be part of it as well. Yeah, go ahead, Alex. Yeah, and it's very interesting. I always notice with new versions of Mac OS, there always seem to be some issues that need to be worked out with core audio. And I've noticed a very interesting cadence with pro apps like Avid who develop Pro Tools. They only seem to support the newer versions of the operating system after Apple gets to the 0.3 release. And I can understand why they do that because a lot of these are people that are using these types of pro level apps are using them in production environments, they cannot risk instability. And I, I, you know, I pay close attention to all the bugs that are in these operating systems. And there are, sure enough, there are lots of core audio related problems that need to be worked out in the 0.1.2.3 release. So there's a reason why, you know, a lot of these companies are, you know, just waiting for stuff to get fixed. Yeah, absolutely. Next question. Douglas Carmichael asks, the M3 Pro chip can support two displays at up to 6K 60Hz over Thunderbolt, and the M3 Max chip can support up to four displays, 3 6K 60 over Thunderbolt and 1 8K over HDMI. What production workflows could use that many displays? Go ahead, CJ. Uh, for me, the, the key constraint here is less the resolution of the individual output so much as how many screens do you need? Uh, just to do this show, I've got five screens plugged into a single machine, and when I go to when I go to buy a laptop, when I see that it can only support one external display or two external displays, that's something that kind of worries me. Um, so that's a, for me. It's just it's count of screens more than actual resolution. Resolution's there because they it's a tech spec, so they got to tell you what the max is. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, and if you have an edit suite where you have a nice big 8K monitor for uh, the the client to look at, and you have your editorial software spread across three screens, that would be a good application to use those four screens out on that, uh, and you'd be using all of them to their max. Next question. CJ Covell from Downingtown, Pennsylvania asks, when turning lights off with some HomeKit-enabled wall plugs, it trips the GFI. No issue at power on. There's three lights, 50 watts each. Thoughts? That's interesting. I haven't seen that before. I, it might, maybe I'm jumping from... Uh, I, have, I have one HomeKit plug that's got two lights going into it, so maybe it's just... Is it, and is what, it which home kit? jump? Which home it's, kit? Uh, they're those little Miros smart plugs. They're oh, like, Miros, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Miros, Miros or, sorry. I, I um, don't know. I don't know how, actually, I don't know how to say it either. So, like, I'm just making stuff up. It's like, I've got, walk them, I've got a bunch them of them around, and I've used them for a long time and haven't yeah. had an issue. And then, mm -hmm. uh, for some reason, though, it's like I I hit the I, I only know it because I hit the thing on my watch while I was away, and it tripped the GFI, and then the uh, GFI was plugged in. Is the power chain is GFI into a UPS UPS into a power strip that has the plug and the lights on it. So uh Oh, that's weird. So the the the, the power strips on the other side of the UPS? Yeah, and it's tripping the GFI. And what UPS are backwards. you using? It's AP whatever the APC that has a screen on it. It's like like a 1500 AV. 1500 or big. It's a beefy one. It's got It's because weird I have that it running it would, my whole Mac. And 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 it's plugged into the protected side of the APC. Yep. Yeah, because nothing turns off. I mean, what nothing? I only know because thirty minutes in, uh, I get a notification that my Mac's offline when I'm away, and I'm like, "Hey, wait a minute, that's not yeah. right." Interesting. 
Hmm. Go ahead, Courtney. Those are uh, those are relays in those little modules for the the control the uh, output right from the home kit output. The, uh, it the sounds wall, like wall relays. Plug. I hit the, yeah, I hit the button and then all of a sudden here click 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 click, click and then click, everything yeah, turns okay. on. Yeah, so, so it could be a transient in the relay is sneaking back into the ground. They've got it connected up uh, inside there, and so uh, high voltage transients are generated in relay coils when they switch. So maybe they didn't properly uh, rectify. You're supposed to put a little rectifier across those to, so that they don't uh, generate those reverse transients into the ground if they're connected to the ground. That may be what's tripping your GFI. Uh, go ahead, John. Yeah, CJ, my question is, what else do you have plugged into the UPS? Because you wouldn't need a UPS and a power strip just to power three lights, I'm guessing. Um, and what's the total load on specifically on that outlet or on that um, GFI circuit? You might just be hitting just over the threshold when you send the signal to the to the machine. And a quick and a, uh, a quick note for um, going back to a, to a question about Zoom asking for external features. Uh, it's a good time to update Zoom. That's what I'm told. Good time to update Zoom. I think there might be some more, uh, you know, like if, if you look for the latest update and update Zoom and then see if it still happens and then ask the question again tomorrow or Monday. Uh, next question. Peter Belbin in Houston, Texas wants to know, I love the idea of smart switches for power control, but it irks me as to how much power they use to provide the capability. Which smart switches are best for low self-power use? Uh, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I'm using Eve. I'm using the Eves. Um, I've had a, um, you know, love-hate relationship with them. I find that these the Eve ones that are single outlet are very unstable. Um, I have found that the the strips are very stable. <laughs> so, so those are the, that's been my uh, experience with the Eve outlets. I haven't looked at them. I feel like I'm doing better from a voltage usage by turning off all my lights. And so whatever it's taking to do that, I'm not paying attention to it. <laughs> so, so, cause I'm, 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 because what was happening before as I was leaving my lights on a lot more than I do now, like now I just turn them off all the time, turn them on and off all the time. And so whatever I was burnt, and there was a lot, it was a lot of power. And so whatever I'm, I'm, I'm saving 90% and it's costing me 10% and I'm not really paying much attention. Um, yeah. Uh, go ahead, Courtney. I've used a variety of the Wi-Fi connected uh, smart smart switches and smart outlets. Uh, some of them die pretty quickly. Uh, I don't think they're pulling a lot of power because they're just powering a low power Wi-Fi chip and a uh, uh, to monitor the voltage and a voltage monitor in there to monitor whether something's plugged into it or not. So I don't think they're pulling a lot of power when they're in the off position, if that's what you're worried about, and a negligible amount of power when they're you've got something plugged into them, obviously. So and I'll measure I wouldn't it. worry about the amount of power you're consuming. I'd worry about the longevity of them uh, because after a while, especially if you overload them, I found the ones, if I plug uh, heaters into them, you know, they're pulling like 1,500 watts. Uh, it heats up the contacts inside that relay and it will eventually cause the chips inside that Wi-Fi uh, connected smart switch to fail. Yeah, and I, uh, I have a kilowatt, so I'll, I'll put, I'll, I'll put my, uh, my lights outlet on it and we'll see what, I'll try to, I'll try to have that information by tomorrow or Monday. Uh, next question. Douglas Carmichael asks, when I look at pictures of larger switcher panels in their control software, like Sony, Ross, but GV especially, they look so much more complicated than the ATEM user interface. Is it a bit of black art to work with one that's that complex? Go ahead, Alex. 
Well, I think when you use black magic devices and black magic software, you become spoiled at how easy and intuitive they are. Um, you know, so that's that's an advantage. I don't a black art. Uh, yeah, in comparison, it they, they, you know, those other devices are those other hardware products are a lot harder to use. I just think it needs training. It's not a black art. You just need to get to used to it. I don't know if there's online training available for those products, or maybe you have to find somebody that has one that's willing to kind of um, you know help you out with it or. Long yeah, there's time. no, I mean, these are, these are big machines. Um, there's a lot more features that they have, a lot more things you can do with them than a Blackmagic switcher. Uh, the Blackmagic switcher does what 90% of the people who switch shows need, you know, but the, and that last 10%, uh, a lot of the high-end TV, football, those things, you need a lot more tools um, to be able to set things up, build more complex multi-views, uh, build more complex, you know, d delivery systems, having, you know, up to eight MEs, that you're you're feeding things into and building those out, um, and uh, so Brad uh, Brad Woodall, I think, uh, talked about some of these things. We have a show about that, um, so I, you probably saw it, but he talked a little bit about it and showed some pictures of it. Um, so, but anybody you talk to that runs that switcher often worked in a truck for Brad did as well. Um, you know, worked in a truck for um, uh, years, not doing the switcher, and then doing some assistance, and then worked on breaks and low-level shows and things that didn't matter for years. And then they finally get up to a point where they're doing, you know, major broadcasts. But I have not ever seen a TD work on a major broadcast on one of these switchers that doesn't have at least 10 years of experience. Like it is, so while I'd say it's something you can learn, I don't know of any classes that do it as much as it just takes a long time to learn how to use it. And almost everybody comes up through the truck you know, through a truck or through a system and they, they start on very, very small things. And you, I think that is one thing that's been lost that uh, some of us have been around for a while know is that a lot of these things just take time to learn. Like they just take time. You have to have lots and lots of experience and it's not, there's not a class. Like the class is not going to teach you, you know, enough to actually do it. You just have to do a lot of it. And so, um, and, and, you, and to do a lot of it, you often are working at minimum wage at best, you know, for a long time to get into it. So uh, oftentimes, you know, it's, it, that's just something you have to kind of brace for. It's not something you're gonna go to a, a one week class and then get a job. You're gonna go to a one week class and then get paid $15 an hour to run cables for the next five years. Now go ahead, Alex. Yeah. Do you have any suggestions? I mean, how would somebody learn that? How do you, how do you contact NEP? That? You know, like, like, you know, like literally say I'm interested in doing that. Um, you know, they, the one thing that, that uh, was made clear from the guests that we've had on our show is they are always hungry for more people because it's hard to get into. They're like, you know, when I said, oh, we, we'd like to build a feeder system. They're like, you don't need a feeder system. Just tell us who's interested. You know, like we're interested in finding people. Um, you know, now it, live production takes a certain kind of person. So the other problem they have is there's a lot of wash. So they, they wash out a lot of people. Um, you have to be able to be appropriate with a lot of people. Um, you have to be able to deal with a lot of stress um, in the truck. Um, you know, there's like, if you ever listen to comms in a truck, it's, you know, there's a lot of moving parts. And, and, it, and, and I have on much simpler shows, I've had TD, I had a TD at a corporate show, you know, a lot of moving parts, just stand up and walk out. Like literally just, they just couldn't take the pressure. They had been doing lots of little things and we hired them for this. It was a little bigger than what they were used to. And I had to literally sit down and just run the rest of the show. Like just, just call the show and, and run it. But it takes, you know, people can just kind of flame out on live, you know, really, you know, because it's a lot of pressure. And the people who get good at it, it's not just the skill set. It's people who mentally are good at 
having a lot of things go wrong. You know, I'm uh, doing some work with Nate Hill soon, next next week. And, you know, you would never know over comms if, ever, if, if things with Nate are coming apart at the seams. <laughs> Like, because Nate just keeps on this, this calm, okay, let's, well, let's do this. And da, da, da. if you work with him long enough, you can tell when he's irritated, but it takes a lot, you know, like to, to, you have to know him for a long time to understand there's this tightness to him when he's irritated about something, but he'll be just like, okay, okay, now we're going to do this. And he never, because, you know, um, increasing the volume and freaking out does not improve the quality of the show. You know, like, um, I think I was, I was asking someone, because we were doing a thing with NASA and they were. I was like, you know, I'm just always amazed at how no matter what happens, you guys are all just perfectly calm, like a smooth water. And and he said, I can't remember exactly what they said, but he said, well, we found that um, raising our voice did not uh, improve survivability. <laughs> so I was like, I, I, I kept that in mind. Uh, next question. Jennifer Miner in Saratoga, California asks, I'm a doctor planning to start a small time podcast and teaching online. Using an iPhone 14 Pro Mac to record video, what other equipment would you recommend to get up and running? Budget of 5000 or less to start. Good, Courtney. I think the best way would be to go like most of us here are doing, go with an ATEM, get you an ATEM Mini Pro ISO uh, that can record your audio. It can stream your audio. It can give you four inputs that you can plug. Uh, if you get an HDMI out on your uh, iPhone 14, you can use that as a camera. You can buy... Uh, a Canon camera or as, well, maybe not a Sony camera after Alex's experience with the latest one, but uh, uh, use a, a pretty good DSLR as a, as a camera for input. And uh, that way you'd have the ability to, you know, switch between your uh, laptop or, or your Mac Pro and, uh, and the camera. Uh, especially if you're a doctor, you're going to be showing things like software for, you know, viewing x-rays or whatever type of instruction you're going to be giving. Uh, you want to be able to go to some type of graphics or put yourself picture in picture. There's tons of ways you can implement all that and do the recording and have it all done outside your computer. So you're not tying your computer up with uh, recording as well as streaming, which can be pretty intensive on a computer. And so if you want to use that same computer to provide uh, some type of app or interactive graphics uh, that you're using to demonstrate, you know, you might clog up and you might ruin your recording if something crashes. So I use outboard hardware. Go ahead, John. I would agree with Courtney, especially the ATEM Mini Pro is a great little product for that. I would start with your camera like you're doing and get an HDMI adapter to put that into your ATEM to start until you figure out a bigger camera you want to get in the long term. Other things to consider is you really want a high quality microphone, as well as consider what software you need, especially for instructional design. Um, depending on what you're trying to build, uh, different amounts of software can be totally different costs. If you're just creating YouTube videos, um, you'll need a software editor um, as well as a sound editor. You might want a Telestrator. Um, and I recently did a conference talk uh, for a training conference on how to put together a Telestrator setup. I can put the equipment list that I'm currently using into our chat. Um, but those are some things you want to think through is what all do you need to do and what are the overall costs going to be? Go ahead, Alex. 
Yeah, so those are all great suggestions. I, too, agree with getting an ATEM where you can uh, feed multiple inputs in there and switch between them and record as well. Uh, and um, like John said, uh, definitely get the HDMI adapter for your phone to plug that in there. The other thing, too, is depending on how quick the turnaround is, if you really want to turn around stuff quickly, too, uh, there are lots of great ways to get good quality audio into your iPhone. You already have a very, very good camera. So with a lightning to USB adapter from Apple, you can get a class compliant audio interface in there as well. Uh, so for example, like the Lewitt Connect 6, uh, Connect 6 is an excellent audio interface with good quality preamps, onboard processing to make you sound good. Uh, it even has a 3.5 millimeter stereo output. You could take the that unbalanced output and feed that audio into your ATEM switcher so you can get the audio in line with the video. So that's another thing that you can do as well. Next question. Our next question is for from Jennifer Miner again. Follow-up question. Looking for a new MacBook Pro. Will the M3 chip work, or should I go with the M3 Pro chip? Um, I would go with the Macs if you can. Uh, where we saw the huge, uh, if you look at the data, I, I told you not to look at the data, but now I'm going to talk about the data for a second, uh, that uh, the data shows that the biggest jump in the MacBook Pros are the are in the Max chip, so um, so if, if you're going to get a MacBook Pro, I would I would look at the Max. I know it's cost it's going to cost a little bit more than the Pro or the or the basic one, but that's where you're going to see the biggest jump. For what you're doing, any of them will work. <laughs> like so, so any any of them will work on like you you can totally get everything done for as you get started. But there's a certain level of buy one cry once you start to like oh I'm gonna you start to increase what you're doing because it's successful. Um, and go ahead and reach out to, you know, either us in Discord or even me. When it comes to education, especially in a certain vertical, just note that I'm super interested in helping you because I'm always trying to figure out, you're trying to figure something out. And if I can help you figure that out, um, I learn something too. So um, so if you, uh, if you reach out to me in Discord directly, um, we can talk more about exactly what it's doing. And I think we can jump into after hours and, you know, really talk through what you're trying to do. But we're really excited to support when you're working on a specific thing, like I'm trying to teach and teach medicine, you know, a lot of us are going to be interested in trying to figure out exactly how to solve your problem specifically, because it helps us learn how to do that. And by the way, I didn't say in the last one, but Telestrators are cool. That's all I got to say. Um, next question. Oh, I'm sorry, CJ. CJ, go ahead. Uh, the, the, the biggest constraint that you might find in your immediate needs between an M3 and an M3 Pro is external display support. Uh, the M3, I believe, only supports one external display, uh, yeah. whereas the Pro gets you to two. So just think about that because that's mm. going to be a major limiter uh, in the near future if, if it is. And decide if, you're, if you need a laptop you know, that you're going to be going around on for the same price. You can get a studio, <laughs> you know, Max, I have four, I have four, you, you, screens are like a bag, you know, you'll just keep filling them with things, you know? And, and so, you know, like you just, oh, I got, I'm, I, you know, I have four is cause I'm out of outputs. Like I'm literally on my, I mean, it might physically be able to do it, but I'm using it for other things. So the only reason I have four, I would have eight monitors on that one computer if I could. So, um, so, and I have more monitors. I just have more computers for those monitors. Um, but I, you know, the, yeah, at some point we'll, I, I've answered the question a couple of times, but I use a lot of computers for my training um, because it's, um, it's, it's, it's tighter. Um, next question. Paul Walhus in Hot Springs, Arkansas asks, the Insta360 link is on sale for $245. Is there any competition for this in terms of functionality and price in this category? 
Uh, not a price, not at that price. Like uh, that is the that is the best webcam at two hundred forty five dollars that you can buy, in my opinion. Um, I've got four of them, so so I uh, and um, you know the Obsbot I think has got the API. We haven't seen a lot of people take advantage of the API, um, but the Obsbot has an API that is um, that is that's pretty impressive. So um, yeah, so so that's the uh, um, that's what I would that's what I'd recommend. It's it's great. It's a great camera um, at two forty five. A uh, quick announcement uh, before we get to the end of the hour. Um, if you are interested in watching the show tomorrow, you have to go to the Quiet uh, Movie Theater. So if you're there to watch it um, in after hours, if you want to be on the show, you need to contact Josh. Um, it is a, we we need to start having panelists who want to show up, uh, talk to Josh, and we can pre-populate the system because we're using the Zoom event system. It doesn't need us to do this but we're doing it so that um, we can take full advantage of all the tools in the Zoom sessions. So um, so we're trying to really see how to get the, all the quality out of it. So it's not a, um, uh, so I would highly recommend, uh, you know, if you're, if you're gonna be on on Sunday is to reach out to Josh and let him know. Um, um, thanks, thank you so much. And by the way, if you're interested, in, if you're a panelist and you're interested in being in the panel meeting, it starts in about five minutes. <laughs> so I, th I, thought we'd, I thought we'd have more time between the two, but we won't. Um, so anyway, so we'll, we'll be talking about stuff there. Um, and uh, uh, thank you to the panelists, by the way. We can't do this without you. Another great, another great day, thousands in. Somehow we keep doing this seven days a week and every show is great. I don't know why. I mean, for me anyway, I don't know if it's great for you, but it's great for it's good for me. So, um, uh, so anyway, uh, thank you so much to the panel and, and it really makes it worth it. And thanks to the producers uh, who uh, ask all the questions and we appreciate it. And thank you to, if you're watching this, thank you to all those QR questions. I think we had like seven or eight QR questions today. Um, so thank, thanks uh, for throwing those in. We really appreciate your contribution. And thanks to the incredible team that is cutting the show, that is developing the show, managing the show. It's a, it's a small village that makes this show happen seven days a week, every single day uh, of the year, including the holidays and Christmas and, and, and all the other uh, things that are out there. We really appreciate everybody's effort. We traveled 75,000 miles today. That is 122,000 kilometers. And that is 601. Where is it? Oh, I lost it. I lost it. Bananas for scale. <laughs> All right, let's go into after hours. And Michael Krasny came to my house to do the do the show, and I, of course, didn't want the banana. Oh, I knew what I did. Imagine I was like, I'm, I don't want to explain the banana. Like, I was like, oh, <laughs> it's like a random banana that's sitting on my, and I was like, I don't want to explain the banana. Like, he's not going to understand. He's not going to get bananas. Um, a lot of he, raised I he a lot of time on Reddit. What? <laughs> a lot of raised eyebrows. Right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Hmm. Someone like he's... a podcast title. I don't want to explain the banana. <laughs> yeah, <really>. <laughs> <laughs> or a short film. Maybe even a full featured film. Well, it's yeah. going to be hard now because you, you can't just get anything made anymore. We now have new contracts and all the production is <laughs> going to drop in half. <laughs> all right. Scab actors are at a shortage right now. <laughs> yeah. See you soon. All right. See ya.